Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Excellent. Good, good. Thanks for joining me. Much appreciated that we could finally uh, get something on the books and record. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, being flexible on your timing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I guess just to kick things off, Chris, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and who you are and Certainly. all that stuff? So my name is Chris Parker. I'm the national sales manager for Mercer Culinary. Um, and so as part of the Mercer Culinary family uh, of companies, Barfly Mixology Gear is one of the uh, companies that is uh, a part of our uh, group. Uh, and so I've been with Mercer for the last 10 years. Um, I have a background in, uh, in culinary uh, restaurants, etc. I went to I'm from Cincinnati originally. Uh, I went to culinary school there, worked at a variety of restaurants, and then in my early 20s, moved to New York City and spent uh, a lot of time in New York City restaurants. So I've worked front of the house, back of the house, uh, you know, line cook, dishwasher, bartender, and on the like. And so that allowed me to have a really good, you know, technical and culinary background. Um, and so when I joined Mercer uh, about 10 years ago, I was in a, a really great position to you know, take technical expertise and know-how within the chef and restaurant community uh, and translate that into doing sales for a culinary company. Um, so that's kind of my story. That's awesome. I did not realize that Mercer was its own, like, massive culinary company. So we are, uh, I don't want to say we're unique because there's a lot of really cool small companies out there, but believe it or not, we're actually a pretty small company. We're only about 100 employees. Uh, we're based out of Long Island, New York, um, but we have a very wide reach. Uh, and so, you know, Barfly being part of Mercer obviously targets the bartender community, but uh, Mercer Culinary itself is, uh, is a chef-centric company. Um, we supply a lot of knives and tools to culinary students, which is a core piece of our business, but then also have a wide breadth within the realm of, of restaurants and commercial supply. So we do a lot with a few people. Uh, we're pretty busy, to say the least. Awesome. That's that's great. I mean, being busy is great for any company, right? <laughs> exactly. Precisely. Awesome. Um, so talk to me a little bit more about uh, Barfly and like how that came about and where its origins and inception was along the Mercer timeline. Sure, absolutely. So we have as part of our travels and in the work that we do, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time at bars, talking to bartenders in restaurants, etc. And so we noticed about uh, probably about eight or nine years ago that, you know, bartenders have really gotten very serious about their craft. And, you know, as part of being serious about anything that you do, you tend to want to have tools that match the, uh, the quality and the seriousness with which you're working. So um, there were some other companies out there that were, you know, producing bar tools, nicer quality bar tools, you know, kind of a step above the standard aluminum items that I'm sure everybody cut their teeth in, in this business. Uh, and so as a company that already knows, has a good know-how of stainless steel fabrication, we said, hey, we can make these items. Uh, and so we put our heads together, you know, really talked to the bartender community uh, and launched a full line of 18-8 stainless steel products um, so that, you know, there's options and choice um, within the bartender realm. And, and we've really grown that to become a pretty strong brand um, that is, I think, fairly well known by a lot of bartenders. And we continue to go out every day and uh, promote that brand, develop products that are uh, quality, uh, they're timely, and they're the kind of products that bartenders and mixologist professionals are using 
uh, and want to use across the country. And so it's really been a lot of fun. It's taken on a life of its own. You know, we've been blessed that we can participate in the community as food service professionals, go to a lot of the events, talk to the bartenders, find out what they need and want, uh, and then be able to manufacture and adapt our products to that. So, you know, we went from probably 25, 30 items to start into, you know, we're into a 35, 40 page catalog at this point. So it's just a treat because we want to be uh, tools for bartenders as we are tools for chefs. Awesome. That's incredible. And I was looking through uh, your site the other day and you guys definitely have a massive plot. There's, there's tools on there that I never even imagined needing to use or like that there was a need for, or even like, I guess how to, how to prepare and like something that makes a cocktail or something like there, there's, there's just, I, yeah, I, way too much on there for <laughs> my amateur bartending uh, brain to comprehend. Um, what would you say is the most, was the most like in demand product that uh, people needed as you were talking to bartenders? So, you know, your core, your core pieces are your shaker set. You know, that's number one. That's kind of the, the bartenders, um, you know, that's the main item that they need. They're making drinks all night. They need a, a two piece shaker set. You know, there's a ton of, uh, variety in those items it really kind of depends on what a bartender you know prefers but in general the two-piece shaker is is what most of them use um and then with quality mixology uh and with bartenders who are you know serious about their craft and, and those who run businesses as part of being bartenders they need to make sure they're accurately uh, measuring their drinks so that they can be recipied uh, and then recreated on a, on a very consistent level. So having quality jiggers and measuring tools uh, that allow bartenders to quickly and easily uh, measure out the various ingredients for cocktails is probably second to uh, the shaker sets. Um, and then strainers and spoons, um, you know, th those four pieces are really the, the core components that you would need for a home bar. You're absolutely right. There's a ton of accessories that can either um, you know, help you with uh, doing some specialty things like ice carving tools that we make uh, or some things that add a little uh, sizzle to the steak of cocktails, if you will, like our ice tapper that, you know, adds a little flourish, makes it a little bit more fun because as most of us know, when we go out, you know, half the fun of going to a good cocktail bar is the vibe, the energy, um, you know, the, the showmanship of having drinks in addition to, you know, having something that's super tasty um, to enjoy with your friends and family. Absolutely. I wanted to ask you about that with the whole upcoming trends of it seems as though and it could just be that I'm now more aware of the cocktail scene because I prefer cocktail over cold beer every mm -hmm. now and then. Um, but it definitely seems that like the mixology scene is really taken off and people are really starting to it's almost becoming the standard to have almost a showmanship with bartenders making cocktails. Is that something that you guys have noticed, too? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that that's kind of the, the foundation of it. So it really goes back to uh, in the United States, a lot of people see, you know, restaurant and hospitality workers for the longest time. It wasn't it wasn't really a true profession. Right. We knew friends who worked in restaurants who always got asked the question. All right. So when are you going to get a real job? And that's that's kind of bogus for us because it is a true profession. There are people who put their heart and souls into research into perfecting crafts and techniques, doing new interesting things that involve, you know, cooking and producing unique ingredients. I mean, there's a whole galaxy on bitter production out there. 
And so these are all very worthwhile pursuits. And I don't think there's anybody could say that they are not, you know, real jobs anymore. And so with that mentality that, you know, the the enjoyment, entertainment experience, you know, tourism, these things are really central to many cities' economies. Uh, it makes these folks more professional and thus they have developed their own, you know, professional conduct, their own professional mores, the way they carry themselves. Uh, and that really has just continued to develop. I mean, it, it's interesting because here in the States, you know, it's one of those things that's been coming for a long time, but you know, you go to Europe or you go abroad and, and, and waiters and bartenders, those are a whole professional class of workers and it's a career. And so there's really no reason why it can't be the same here. And so I think a lot of those folks who are really committed to uh, professional bartending and mixology are just taking things very seriously so that guests who, especially at those kind of places, are spending a bit more, uh, they get the enjoyment and the experience to keep coming back uh, to those kinds of establishments that you know want to serve a higher quality uh, drink. And it doesn't have to be super white tablecloth, as we know a lot of the great bars out there are more casual. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's not professional. And there isn't a great deal of thought and effort that goes into every drink on the menu uh, and the way they carry themselves in their craft. Absolutely. And yeah, some of my favorite bars are the ones where it looks almost like a hole in the wall. But once you get inside, it's it's a it's a show from start to finish. Um, so what wanted to talk a little bit about, like the difference between where bartending turns into mixology because i know there's been some kind of back and forth at least from what i've seen in the industry that like mixology has to have the like dry ice and the whole nine yards of some elaborate like weird way of concocting the drink and the presentation so where where do you think or see the borderline of traditional bartending versus mixology I would say it's probably in an attitude and in the, you know, the menu or the, 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 the vision or concept you're trying to execute. Uh, so, you know, and bartenders are a cheeky lot. So it's one of those things that, uh, you know, nobody wants to necessarily claim that they're a mixologist. But I think where you see it is, again, is the professional dedication to having a wide knowledge of spirits, um, developing the various techniques that you know different types of shaking techniques and that's something that even us who manufacture these tools are always floored when we talk to bartenders and they talk to us about various uh you know hard shaking techniques um that have developed in different places whether it be here and japan has kind of a culture of that um but again just different techniques to produce different effects and so you know you can absolutely go down to your neighborhood bar and get a good you know old-fashioned or manhattan that doesn't necessarily mean that bartender subscribes to mixology, but I would say that they, uh, you know, they know the basic techniques and the core of that. Whereas, you know, you can go to some of the wild outlandish places like the aviary where mm -hmm. they're, they're connected to high end chefs who the whole goal is to create an experience that is, you know, unique to what they do. So I'd say that the, the mixology probably realm to your point is a little bit more towards that outlandish end where you have a lot of thought put into things there's maybe some above and beyond uh, presentations with cocktails uh, ingredients that are a little bit more laboriously produced or specialty produced you know some syrups that need to steep for weeks or things that are involving sous vide or uh, you know some gastronomy uh, principles 
I feel like that kind of stuff, when you when you start involving pipettes and, you know, uh, agar and that sort of stuff, I think you get into that realm of mixology. Um, but that's not to say that there's not a bartender who consider themselves a mixologist who has, you know, a super wide spirits knowledge and can tell you, you know, a wide variety of different types of rums based on their origin in, you know, the Caribbean or in Central and South America and, and, and cater somebody's cocktail tastes uh, based on that knowledge. So it's a very much a, a wide ranging thing. And I don't think anybody, unless they truly want to call themselves a mixologist, uh, you know, would say that they fall into one category or the other. It's, it's definitely a self-identification thing, I think. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, it's, I, I definitely see there, you're a professionalism and how they kind of carry themselves and the ambiance and the mood that they set that kind of gives me those more um, mixology vibes versus I'm going to a sports bar and, Mm-hmm. watching the game type of thing um but that, that's cool that there's not like a set label on that so i wanted to circle back a little bit talking more about some of the tools that you mm-hmm. guys have and kind of the purposes behind some of them is it were gracious enough to send me an awesome awesome set that i've been using right and left nonstop. um I, I saw this on social media a while ago and I wanted to ask you is what's the point of like this spiraling on the bar spoon? Is that actually to pour like the carbonated beverages? Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I just saw that myself uh, not too long ago. And I mean, absolutely. Sure. Why not? Cause it works. Um, <laughs> but I know at least in my experience uh, the swirl of the bar spoon um, allows it to really easily rest in your hands so that when you're stirring a drink, um, you can seamlessly do that with, with minimal uh, effort on part of your wrist and elbow because when you're stirring lots and lots of drinks every night for many nights, year after year, month after month, you know, obviously you can develop the same sort of uh, occupational injuries that you would doing any other repetitive task over and over. And so, um, you know, so for us, you know, we like that, that the extra smoothness that you may have noticed of our bar spoons, we, we, we take an extra polishing step to, to round that. So it fits a lot better in your hand. It doesn't have the rough edges uh, compared to some, you know, cheaper items. Um, and so, you know, if it, if it works, then it's, then it's perfect. Right. So if you were trying to pour a, a carbonated beverage straight into something and so you can layer a drink and it works fantastic for me, it was always more of just, so it fits nicely in your hand uh, so that you can easily stir drinks, uh, you know, without a whole lot of effort. Well, the more you know. Yeah, again, I, it was half, cracked me up when I saw it. <laughs> yeah, like I guess half a point for social media because it works, but it might not be the original intent. But sure. Yeah. Uh, what, what would you say your favorite cocktail is to enjoy or consume or, and then even also make? Sure. So I, um, I'm, I'm, I've gone back and forth in my tastes as far as what I like, but I'm, I'm, I'm a Manhattan kind of guy. Um, I like, uh, I mean, if I'm going to have it at a place for me, it's a, you know, it's a perfect rye Manhattan, usually with a, with like a twist of orange. Um, and maybe if someone wants to spike a, you know, a, a brandy cherry on there, that's kind of, that's kind of my happy place. But uh, you know what? I think it's also seasonality. Uh, my wife is, is very much into uh, cachaza. So if there's a place that does good caprinas without, you know, without pissing off the whole, our staff, we'll have a few of those. And then when it gets hotter outside, you know, I, I definitely am into, um, you know, some of the clear spirits, gins, et cetera, when it's, when it's warm. So 
I try to consider myself to be an equal opportunity enjoyer and viber. Um, but yeah, if I'm at a, if I'm at a place, um, you know, I, I definitely like to start with a Manhattan. It's always a, a good one for me. Awesome. And what, what was that drink that you said your wife likes? I've never heard of that before. So it's called a cap Caparina is what it's called. Uh, so there is a, uh, it's a, it's a native product of Brazil. It's, it's called cachaça, which essentially is, is a type of distilled sugarcane, um, liqueur um and so or liquor uh so it, it doesn't spend as much time in, in barrel like some rums do um and i, I don't know and, and i wouldn't be the person to tell you exactly you need a true you know uh, expert on it to say what the difference between it and rum are but in general in brazil it is kind of their native uh hooch or moonshine um and so you can go anywhere around and there tends to be carts with uh with cachaça out and people make you really stiff Caparina. Uh, and so it's essentially um, a little bit of sugar, a little bit of lime, a lot of cachaça muddled, served with a little bit of ice. Uh, and it's, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's like kind of a national drink of Brazil. Awesome. That's, I need to find some now. <laughs> yeah, so our preferred uh, brand is Leblon, uh, like Leblon Beach in uh, Rio de Janeiro. So that's always a, a good one if you can find that one. Um, so that's what we like to have. I will. Definitely keep a lookout on that one to see where I can get it. Um, have you guys done much with the non-alcoholic spirits and beverages out there? You know, it's it's funny that you you bring that up because the the short answer is yes. We we started to do that. So way back in in the dark ages of 2020, um, we had noticed and and started to really recognize that there was uh, a dry movement going on, and it was pretty cool. The mocktail thing, um, you know, low ABV spirits, um, some of the non-alcoholic spirits, uh, we were really seeing them gain a lot of traction. And, and I think it was a, it's a very valuable thing because, uh, you know, a lot, especially in the bigger cities, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, the difference between socializing and drinking. And people, of course, want to socialize and enjoy all the time. But there was a lot of scrutiny and a lot of consideration going on the fact is, can we do so in a healthful way? Where we're still enjoying the company of our friends and loved ones, but not necessarily drinking, you know, because obviously drinking a lot of alcohol has its own potential negative side effects. And so um, we were, as as before the pandemic was unfortunately started, uh, we were starting to talk to some of the non-alcoholic spirit producers about doing some, you know, partnership events um, where we could highlight that uh, that movement and you know really bring some awareness to the fact that. You know, you can make really good drinks uh, with a variety of non-alcoholic items. You still get the uh, the enjoyment of your friends. You get to socialize. You get to, you know, really enjoy the good parts of life, um, but not necessarily, uh, you know, over and vibe or imbibe at all. And so, yeah, so we we're starting to do that. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, um, uh, I think that kind of went away for a while just because of People were like, you know, non-alcoholic stuff's great, but have you tried white wine or alcohol uh, in the middle of the <laughs> pandemic? Because we had no idea it was such a weird, uncertain time. Yeah. Uh, and so that that went away. But I, I definitely see that uh, becoming, um, you know, a, a, a renewed focus in that, especially because, you know, the last few years have just been so stressful for everybody. And that, you know, the the, the drive to well to health or excuse me, to to uh, uh wellness i think is going to become even more important uh, as we get hopefully knock on wood out of this pandemic soon yeah definitely and that's that is one thing that has really driven uh the non-alcoholic industry is 
as the pandemic kind of geared up and was in full force in 2020, it was a lot of people were kind of stopping and really taking an inventory of their health habits and their habits. And a lot of people kind of veered further away from alcohol as we're seeing um, all over the world and especially here in the U S which I think is great. Um, I, I ever cocktail for a mocktail at home and mix and match and do some mixology myself, but yeah, it's, it's really cool. Are there any specific brands that you want to work with, whether it's as Barfly or yourself? Um, I mean, so the research that I've done so far, the one that's kind of stand stood out to me the most, and they've got some really great marketing. So this is this is definitely by no means a, a plug or a partnership with them, but just from a personal level, I've I've been most impressed by Seedlip. Um, I've seen them, you know, with a, a, a big blitz of stuff, especially in you know Metro New York. Um, and so you know, they've one that has definitely stand, stood out to me personally. Um, but in, in general, I mean, I I like the idea that anybody who wants to go through the craft of, you know, actually distilling a non-alcoholic um, liquor, liqueur, whatever, um, is, is pretty, pretty neat. Um, and I'm, I we would, you know, be as a company willing to talk to anybody and, you know, look at events together because these are the raw ingredients, the same raw ingredients, just like we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't say one, I wouldn't say one vodka is, you know, better than the other necessarily. So, um, you know, in general, I think it's it's pretty cool that there is a, an overall industry in those types of spirits emerging. Because uh, I agree with you, you know, the, the demand is there, and so as the demand continues, hopefully more and more folks get into this, and um, there's a wide variety of interesting products available, and people can, uh, you know, make a living producing something that's good for you. Yeah, definitely. Um, so with, with all the non-alcoholic spirits and stuff, and I know Celeb's a great one. Um, so I. Do you think from like a marketing standpoint, companies should be saying this is a non-alcoholic whiskey or kind of do what Seedlip does where it's just their alcohol-free distilled spirit, like number 108 or label as an elixir versus calling it non-alcoholic gin or non-alcoholic whiskey or something like that? What, what do you think the like marketing should be for stuff like that? You know, it's it's a it's an interesting question because I, I'm sure that you know those who are diehard about whether there's an E in their whiskey or not certainly have opinions about it. For me, just because we sell a lot of products that are at a middle tier price point, I always like to have a smooth sale. So I I need I like a sale that essentially doesn't require a great deal of explanation behind it. So if someone is looking to do you know a non-alcoholic themed party. And they're not really familiar with a lot of the botanicals and they might be maybe a little intimidated by if they read about all the botanicals that they've never heard of on a particular brand and it doesn't lead them to know have a clear idea of what they ought to buy um, obviously if they're at a place that sells them that's helpful but if they're in a rush and they don't want to it might be easier for them just to say all right non-alcoholic gin awesome so i can see it from both sides i can see it from the technical side where you want to say, well, this isn't gin, this isn't whiskey, this isn't Hinever, this isn't vodka, because it doesn't, you know, possess the technical aspects as far as, you know, this triple dispilled, you know, wheat or etc. Um, so, but again, from a marketing side, if your goal is to try and make it as easy for the consumer uh, to purchase your products and enjoy them, 
I personally see no issue with that classification, especially because there is no alcohol in it. You don't necessarily have any state guidelines that you'd have to follow or, or federal guidelines that you'd have to follow as far as what you're actually classifying that spirit as. That's interesting that that's how that applies to spirits. Cause I know with non-alcoholic beers, they, those breweries cannot say this is a non-alcoholic stout or a non or like, an IPA they can't call it an India pale ale because that has classifications on it there have been some NA breweries that have run their labeling on everything uh, but yeah, I mean it's there, there's hardly any consistent legislation right now across the non-alcoholic industry and how states govern it like can I be driving on the highway beer some states yes some states no um and then also, right, and it, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. I, was, I, was just, I mean, what I was going to say is that you're right. And absolutely. I mean, I just kind of think what you're saying that kind of cracked me up though, those Heineken ads where there's a guy, you know, those Heineken 0.0 ads and the guy's like sitting in a car, had drinking one and it obviously got pulled over by a cop. And so it had its own little cheekiness to it. But you're, to your point, I mean, is that going to cause an issue with somebody because, you know, a cop doesn't know necessarily what that product is because it's brand new. So, uh, you know, that obviously is, is, is a joke, but you know, you know how it is. Uh, see, if somebody sees it, they're going to give it a whirl. It's, it speaks to the reality of it. And then the other thing is, can you serve it to people under 21? Can, can bars serve it to people under 21? Can I have like my kids' friends come over and I serve them a non-alcoholic beer or something like that? And that, that's a whole other discussion that there's just, there's no rules on it. <laughs> right now. Sure. I mean, I mean, I guess if you, you know, if I had one of my, uh, if I had a lawyer in the room with me and they were reading whatever the state statute was that, you know, minors under X age cannot consume anything that contains X amount of alcohol, then I think you'd get a pretty clear idea of it. But obviously, you know, if you told parents that you had a non-alcoholic beer party, you'd probably get a variety of uh, reactions from them, even though we both know that there would be nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's definitely an, an, an interesting area that's definitely going to, to develop but uh you know if if we can go out and my kid can get something cool that isn't you know a super sweet uh, shirley temple um and start to appreciate some of the nuanced flavors of of you know a drink i mean i don't necessarily need my four-year-old to do that but i would you know be excited when my 14 year old wants to learn more about you know complexity yeah. and, and that sort of stuff because you know they'll they'll be encountering that soon enough in their own lives as they go out absolutely and, and it can also i think start to be uh, like teachable moments where parents can start to talk about alcohol consumption with their kids in a very safe environment as well. No, fully agree. You know, I, I've, I've been to Europe uh, quite a few times and, and I will just say that there are different attitudes uh, about alcohol there that I'm, I'm sure that you and a lot of your uh, listeners are familiar with. Uh, I don't know in the United States if we have the healthiest relationship with alcohol. And I think a lot of that comes with how it's, you know, treated when we're younger. But to your point, I think that if there are ways that we can um, start talking about alcohol consumption and, and what it's really about, you know, why are you having drinks with your friends? Is it to socialize or is it to, you know, escape something? Um, you know, I, I think that's a good, a good teachable moment and a good thing to start talking about with Kings because I, I think that we can change hopefully start changing a lot of our American perceptions about alcohol and consumption because it's, it's not always healthy. Absolutely. And I, I love how you just phrased that because that was pretty much ver our mission statement <laughs> uh, yeah. of trying to 
get people to ask those questions of why am I drinking this? Is it to escape a shitty day at work? And then the follow-up question, what can I do to maybe prevent having that shitty day again? Mm-hmm. And, and kind of asking those deeper questions to avoid the development of a need for alcohol or an automatic association of bad day, drink more and stuff like that. So I was perfect. I couldn't have even scripted that as well as you said it. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that one. I mean, I think there's something that, that really gets to the crux of it. That is, is what a lot of people like, especially when you talk about like the after work drink, I think that ritual is really important. We like doing certain rituals. You know, mm-hmm. I like to make a Manhattan in such and such a way, but I totally agree with you that if I was trying to, uh, you know, have that, that ritual of decompressing after work, but I didn't want to, you know, potentially have some of the, the side effects of having an alcoholic drink. Uh, I think there's nothing absolutely wrong with saying, okay, I'm going to have the ritual. I'm going to sit, I'm going to have something in a rocks glass. It's going to look and maybe smell like what I'm accustomed to, but there's no reason why it needs to be an alcoholic drink. Cause I think the ritual itself is perhaps somewhat people are more interested in the social ritual, et cetera, of being with their friends and family and, and not having to drink alcohol because, because of societal pressure that says that that's what you ought to do. Um, I don't think there's any reason why that needs to be the reality for anybody that doesn't want to. Absolutely. And I, I, just, I love hearing other people talk about that because it really kind of gives full credence to the whole non-alcoholic movement and everything. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I, I think we're going in the right direction, whether some days it seems like we're going kicking and screaming, but other days you, you really do see the impact of what drinking less does and the positive impact of that. So... Well, Chris, I don't, I don't want to keep you any, any longer than what I promised. We are approaching that 30 minute mark. Um, so are there any final thoughts you'd like to share? Um, any, any way that we can connect with our listeners can connect with you guys on social media and stuff. Well, first off, thank you for having us on. We really appreciate it. Uh, I think you've got a great mission and I think there are a lot of things to talk about uh, so that people can, uh, you know, have healthy, healthy, full lives, um, enjoy, their friends and, and family in a way that makes them feel good. So that, I think that's a pretty cool mission that you're after. So kudos to you all. Uh, if you are interested in learning more about our products, our website is barflybymercer.com. Feel free to follow us on Instagram, uh, Facebook, social, etc. at barflybymercer or, or at barflybymercer, excuse me. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, uh, keep a lookout for us. Uh, we continue to grow our retail footprint. We're very searchable online. So if you're looking for some products, uh, you know, we'd be thrilled and honored for those who want to purchase our products uh, wherever they're sold. Awesome. And I believe in a couple of weeks, we're going to be working uh, together on a um, for a set. So everybody should look forward to that. And yeah, thank you again for joining me, Chris. And I hope that we can stay in contact and have some mocktails one day. I hope so. Looking forward to it. Thank you very much for having me. Talk to you later. Bye. Take care.